0: Joel chapter 1 from verse
1: 1.
0: The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails. Despair you farmers, wail you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day! For the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods, the storehouses are in ruins, the granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan! The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness and flames have burnt up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up. And fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness.
1: Thank you, Alan. Uh, If you have a Bible, please do uh, keep it open. Um, It is, obviously, as you read there, a very challenging passage. um, But one which I hope will be really helpful to us as we seek to grow and understand all of Scripture. uh, That it all points to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Let me pray as we come to God's word together. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. As we enter into chapter one of the minor prophet uh, Joel, uh, there is perhaps one big question, one big question that pops out of chapter one and it is this how do you respond when disaster strikes how do you respond when disaster strikes maybe your response is perhaps to to turn to your work to turn to something that is stable and to pour yourself into that maybe it's friends that you have that that help you and you, you lean into them perhaps it's It's family that give you a sense of assurance, give you a sense of confidence when the storms come into your life. Perhaps you turn inwards and you take refuge in things like like ice cream or or binge eating chocolate, watching TV shows or Netflix or what have you. Or maybe when disaster strikes, you turn to to drink or maybe even forms of, of drugs to try and somehow numb the pain of the reality that you face in your life the disaster of what is going on because the question is how do we cope when things seem hopeless and the question as well is well, where is God in all of this Well, as we study uh, the book of Joel this evening there are lots of questions that come out of it lots of questions and some very challenging answers One of the aims of the church for for the year ahead is really to grow in maturity, to grow in maturity as disciples of the Lord Jesus. And in studying books like Joel, it is really my prayer, our prayer as as elders, as pastors, that this would be a step in that, that we would grow in our knowledge and our love of the Lord. As we look at the book of Joel, as we saw in the video there, in terms of date and context, looking through some of the, the commentator's The answer is they just don't know Uh, no one really knows who exactly joel was and nor who his father who is mentioned in verse 1 pethiel no one knows who he was either Uh, but we do know that the message is directed to the people of judah as it mentions later in the book Uh, judah that is the southern kingdom of israel Uh, not many people are sure exactly when the book is written, um, but it is probably written around 400 BC uh, and then afterwards uh, and the decades after that. So, just after the exile from Babylon. And Joel, as we heard, he draws on many parts of the Old Testament and assumes that his reader is very familiar with it. Um, so, if, if we know, if, if we read Joel for ourselves, if we are familiar with the Old Testament, then it does make our life much easier. Because there's lots of things that ring out. And so, <clears throat> unlike, unlike other prophets, like we have, for example, Hosea or, or Jeremiah, uh, they, they live out their message, they actually live it out, they sort of incarnate it. But Joel, he doesn't do that. Rather, the emphasis, as it says in verse 1, is that this is the word of the Lord. That this is God's word to God's people in the power of God's spirit and that is really the focus the the message, this word from the Lord is a dramatic word, a powerful word as all around Joel there is desperation desperation and heartbreak because of locusts as we'll see that the, the swarm of locusts firstly means that judgment has come judgment has come Joe he first addresses the, the elders and then he turns to everyone in the land of Judah uh, and says, has anyone ever seen anything like this before? You might hear in the media at the moment people use the word unprecedented in many, 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 many articles but this is the case this is unprecedented no one had ever heard of this before it has never happened before so he says to people, has it ever happened before? the response is obviously no, it has never happened before. And so, in the same way, when, when Jews, you think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, they're called to, to teach their children the ways of the Lord, the things that the Lord has done. In the same way, he says, you know, teach your children what the Lord has done today, the day that the locusts have come. As Joel emphasizes the devastation that they have caused, as he speaks about that in verse 4. He says, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have eaten, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. The point Joel really wants to make, and he uses four different Hebrew words for locust, is to say that the locusts are everywhere. That they have eaten everything, they have destroyed Everything. It says the swarm of locusts, the great locusts, the young locusts, and all the other locusts, they are everywhere and they have eaten everything. It is all gone. Now as I say, Joel assumes that he assumes that his readers that they know Old Testament. And where is the first place that his readers would think of when they think of a swarm of locusts? Where's the first place that you might think of when you think of a swarm of locusts? Surely it is Egypt. When the Lord sent the plague upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians who opposed him to let his people go. However, the, the significance of the plague of locusts in this episode really is shocking. It's shocking because it's, it's not a, a judgment in sending the locusts upon the nations. But it's actually a judgment in sending the locusts upon God's own people. And why are they under judgment? Why do the locusts come? Well, in the book of Joe in the original language, the Lord is described as the Lord of the covenant. The covenant is like a relational contract, like you have in marriage. You make a covenant with one another. And there is one key passage which helps us to understand why it is that specifically locusts have come here. Because that is displayed in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 28, it talks about the covenantal blessings for obedience on one hand and the covenantal curses for disobedience, for breaking God's covenant on the other. And you see exactly what happens when they break covenant. It says, the Lord is is speaking here and he says, you will sow much seed in the field, but you will not, you will harvest little because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or, or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the olives because the olives will drop off. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them because they will go into captivity swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land and so it is as you see in this episode that that judgment has come upon God's people because of their disobedience because they have broken covenant with the Lord they have disregarded God's law and therefore they experience the consequences of it For us today as believers, the Lord, he does not judge us in the same way as as he did in the Old Testament. He is not angry. He does not judge us in the same way. But he does discipline us. He does discipline us if we rebel against him. If we go against him, if we break covenant, if you like, with him, then he will discipline us. And sometimes that can be in dramatic ways. I remember a believer I knew who was a very good driver. And he one day crashed his car. But it was later found out that actually he was was living in adultery. And surely is that not a warning from the Lord to repent? Or maybe when you think of someone that's working seven days a week, that chooses to work seven days a week, chooses to work excessively long hours and becomes ill as a result of it is that not a warning from the Lord to turn and repent? Or when maybe a believer is sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend and then they have a pregnancy scare, is that not a warning from the Lord, a discipline of the Lord, to repent? Because this is exactly what Joel wants of his listeners. He wants a response. He calls out later in verse 5, he calls out to the drunkards and says, wake up. And so the Lord calls out to each one of us Wake up Wake up is the, the swarm of locusts means that means that judgment has come And secondly, it means that, that we must respond Because as you look from, from verse 6-7 The locusts are described in really powerful poetic language They're described like an army Described as lions and lionesses with teeth and fangs who strip the land bare. The land has been ravished of all of its goodness as the locusts have come in judgment. And so you see then from, from verse uh, 5 to 14 through Joel that he, he wants to really drive the nail in of the image of devastation even deeper. With more and more examples. So Joel, he turns to the drunkards in verse 5. And he says, wake up, wake up. Because everything that you would normally find refuge in, that is wine. wine—well, You can't drink wine anymore because there's no harvest. There's no grapes. You can't turn to wine. In verse 8, God's people are called not to celebrate, but to mourn in bitterness. Like a bride-to-be who's just lost their fiancé. He turns to the farmers in verse 11 to 12 who take pride over their work and over their crops. And he says, don't don't celebrate, but instead despair and grieve. Grieve because the harvest has failed. Joel then, then calls to the priests and the ministers at the temple in verse 13. And he says, put on sackcloth and wail. Wail because there is nothing left To offer the Lord. The relationship between the Lord and his people has been cut off. The idea of covenant would be that they would sacrifice an animal. They would cut it and then they would walk through to restore the covenant. But God's people could not do that. So the symbol of being cut off is not cutting the covenant to renew. But being cut off from God completely. Because there's nothing to offer the Lord. He calls to the ministers and then all the elders of God's people to declare a fast, declare a fast and to cry out to the Lord. In other words from the greatest leader to the smallest person to the most common person, the call is to humble themselves, to get on their knees, on their faces before the Lord and to cry out to him that he would restore them. Because as as Joe goes through each set of people, he describes the judgment that that they are under. That the things that they would normally find joy in, that they would light up their lives, they have all gone. Everything is gone. In other words, in the light of the disaster that is before them, there is nothing left to turn to. The things that they would normally turn to They're gone. There's nothing left to turn to. Because the drunkards, they can't turn to wine because there's no crop, there's no grapes. A bride can't turn to her... A bride-to-be can't turn to her fiancé because he has died and she only has tears to comfort her. The farmer, he can't turn to his work because the harvest has failed, meaning that it's just destitution and death that await not only the farmer, but everyone in the community. Then even the ministers, the broken covenant, they cannot offer anything to God. They cannot come before the Lord. The people themselves are cut off. Therefore, they can only really expect not God's blessing, but God's curse. And yet, as we look at this passage, we must remember that as Christians today, we are under the new covenant, that the Lord does not judge us in the same way. For those of us in Christ, God is not angry with us however because he loves us he will discipline us as it says in Hebrews 12 the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son and so we might in some times in some ways experience the discipline of the Lord in our lives and as we think about that in the light of this passage maybe the first group of people when times get hard maybe when they turn away from the Lord they instead they turn to alcohol they turn to wine as the Lord is not their ever-present help in times of trouble the bottle is or perhaps like the bride-to-be the dream of a future spouse or even a current day spouse is the place where they find solace the place where they find joy maybe like the farmers it's place of work finding peace there that if everything in life is going badly, then surely work will be my rock and my refuge. Maybe we turn to the, the barns that we have at home and turning to our fridge to open up the fridge for food to find a place of comfort. Or perhaps, like the ministers of the Lord, as long as we are doing things for the Lord, then we have some sense of purpose and peace rather than just simply humbling ourselves before him and trusting him as the point that Joel makes as he drives the nail in again and again and again is that all these things have failed there is nothing left to turn to nothing and some today perhaps might say well well, if you have your health you have everything and the answer is well what if you don't have your health What if you go for a scan and it turns out that that is not good news? Others perhaps might say, well, well, family. Family comes first. But what happens if there's a problem in the family? Where do you turn? The question is, where do you go when there is nowhere to go? Where do you turn? Because in the end, when we are stripped of everything, Only the Lord remains. And therefore, Joel's call to us today is to repent, to turn to the Lord and to trust in him. Because as we think about it, the the swarm of locusts, it means that firstly judgment has come that, that must repent, that the day of the Lord is also near. As he speaks about that from verse Uh, 15 he says the day of the lord it really is something that that was supposed to be something that the people were were to look forward to it's a theme that is looked at through different lenses in the book and in having uh, laid out the message of judgment and a call to respond he swings the sledgehammer one more time on verse uh, 15 and he says alas for that day for the day of the lord is near it will come like destruction from the almighty in speaking of the, the day of the lord like this uh, the prophet joel he just wants to continue to to warn the people to warn the people of judah because the locust swarm is really it is a symbol of judgment a symbol that these locusts have been sent upon uh, the people for their covenantal breaking which means that really it's only a glimpse of that final day that final day of the Lord. That final day of judgment. It is, if you like, an expression of of the wrath of God to God's people. As he really calls them to, to humble themselves before the Lord and to call out to the Lord for mercy. To call out to him before that day. But The thing that is really shocking to the people of that audience at the time is that the day of the Lord it didn't mean destruction. It didn't mean destruction at all. It was supposed to mean deliverance. Because it was a day that that God's chosen people would celebrate. That they would be brought in to God's holy presence. And instead of God's people, it would be the nations. All those who rejected the Lord that would be judged by him. But Joel, he shocks his listeners by saying that this is not a day to rejoice. But it's a day to grieve. Because the people of God, they they have denied the Lord in the way that they live. They had broken covenant with him. And yet they lay on their beds thinking, well, all is well. The day of the Lord is coming. To which Joel wants to say, no, all is not well. The message really is, you, you cannot simply live however you want and expect that the Lord will welcome you into his presence. It's a message really which is a warning to the people then and a warning to us today. As we ask ourselves, does does my life reflect the fact that I am a follower of the Lord? Does my speech reflect that? Does how I use my, my money reflect that I'm a follower of Jesus? Does how I use my time and my gifts as I serve others, does that show that I love the Lord and live for the Lord? As the Apostle James says, faith without works is dead. And so I can't say, yes, I'm a Christian, but my life doesn't reflect it. I can't really have a ticket which is stamped for heaven and then just not in any way change. I can't have a life which doesn't transform. I want to live in light of the final day the final day of the Lord as we live in the fear of the Lord the reverent fear of the Lord that is what we're called to do as believers because we've seen that the swarm of locusts well it means that that judgment has come that we must respond to that that the day of the Lord is near and that lastly only the Lord can save us Only the Lord can save us. This should be our cry, and this is Joel himself, his cry, as he says from verse 19 to 20. To you, Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. Because as you look around the world today, the world is under judgment, is it not? We see earthquakes and hurricanes and wars all over the place. The world is under judgment. And so Joel says, well, Where where do we go? There is only one place the Lord. Because as you look at these verses, Joel he draws he draws on other scriptures, as he says in verse twenty that even the wild animals pant for you as the streams of water have dried up. Where does that where does that lead you to in your thoughts if you know Scripture well? It is Psalm forty two As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And this is the point, isn't it? that there is nowhere else to go other than the Lord there is nowhere else to go other than the Lord where else can I go when my life is falling apart I can argue with other people that I'm not getting along with that they've disrespected me, that they haven't spoken to me in the way that they should, try and justify my position I can do that, but it won't bring me peace it will probably harden me. If I feel like the world is against me. I can, I can turn and point the finger. But it will only make me feel worse. I can turn for solace in food. I can look to try and find comfort in family and friends. Which to some degree help. But not ultimately. I can look to, to, to drugs. I can look to, to drink. I can look to pornography. I can hide myself in my work. But ultimately that doesn't help. So where do I turn? Where can I turn? I turn to the Lord. I cry to the Lord. I cry to him and I turn to his words. I want to hear his voice. I turn to him in prayer. That he would hear my cry. (coughs) That he would give me peace. That as I meet with my heavenly Father, that he would come to me and bring me comfort. I cry to God because there is no place to go. Because we live we live in a world which is under judgment. We see that every single day. Or as Joel describes the scene after the locusts have come, they have stripped everything bare. There is nothing left and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. As we live in a world that is really under the judgment of God. Fiery judgment because of rebellion against the Lord. The one who made us, who made everything. As each of us, each of us individually, we we deserve the judgment of God. Because we have all broken God's law. We've all broken covenant with the Lord. We've all broken God's heart. And so God's perfect fire of justice in a sense burns against each one of us. But at the cross we see the glory of the gospel. We see the glory of God. Because at the cross the fire falls. At the cross the fire falls. In a display of cosmic and ultimate, supreme love, the Lord Jesus, takes the punishment that we deserve, that we would receive not judgment, but mercy. Mercy in abundance. We receive grace, not justice. And therefore we can be bold. We can be bold and approach the throne of grace because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We can come to him with small things, with big things, because he hears our cry. He hears our cries for mercy. As the Lord Jesus, he has created a new covenant for us, one that we remember at the Lord's table, as he has shed his blood and broken his body for us. The Lord Jesus has renewed the covenant with us he's renewed our relationship with the lord and therefore we can call out to god with confidence knowing that he hears our cry our cries for mercy